Drunk Mythology Friends. I'm Kate. And I'm the other Jen. And I'm Kim. And we're the Drunk, Drunk Dracula, Dracula, Dracula Gal. Wow. That was sort of staggered. That was nice. Yeah. yeah. We each got our little moment in the sun. Mm-hmm. That was Kind of like Van Helsing steps up every time. Right? <laughs> Let me chime in on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get more of that because this is chapter 23 of Bram Stroker's Dracula. <laughs> The name fits more and more the further down this journey we go. Yeah, and we're coming to, uh, you know, we're in the home stretch here. Are we? Just four chapters left. Is this the point where they jump the shark? (laughs) Uh, If there was Uh, a shark at any point, it was already jumped. (laughs) You know what? It jumped all the way back to England. Okay. (laughs) Off we go. So it's the recap. Yay! It's the Go recap for, it. for chapter 22, because if Dr. Seward ever wants to stop running the world's worst lunatic asylum, he can always go into faking the business of faking death certificates because Renfield's death is the third that they are covering up so far. <gasps> That's it, right. It seems like Mina is the only one yet again with a plan for all contingencies because the rest of the gang is still fucking focused on the boxes of dirt. Oh, and the worst burglary plan ever. Van Helsing puts his foot in his mouth about Mina, then proceeds to burn her with a sacred wafer because this is a cult and I'm feeling shades of Nexium. The guys then uh, leave Mina alone again, having oh. nothing to go deal with. Yep, you guessed it, the boxes of dirt. Quincy and the saltine cracker leave Jonathan behind because they think they have having a lawyer tag along for hiring a locksmith is a little conspicuous because a Texan and an aristocrat totally fly under the radar. <laughs> this is the gang that couldn't clue straight and... <laughs> and dracula has to literally leave the addresses and keys for the guy to go find the other say it with me fucking Fucking boxes of of dirt dirt. (laughs) exciting times or not anyway carry on oh my god i need a drink of water (laughs) dr seward's diary three october The time seemed terribly long whilst we were waiting for the coming of Godalming and Quincy Morris. The professor tried to keep our minds active by using them all the time. I could see his beneficent purpose by the side glances which I threw from time to time at Harker. The poor fellow is overwhelmed in a misery that is appalling to see. Last night he was a frank, happy-looking man with strong, youthful face, full of energy and with dark brown hair. Today he is a drawn, haggard old man whose white hair matches well with the hollow burning eyes and grief-written lines of his face. So his his hair did turn white overnight. Yeah, yeah. His energy is still intact. In fact, he is like a living flame. This may yet be his salvation, for if all go well, it'll tide him over the despairing period. He will then, in a kind of way, wake again to the realities of life. Poor fellow, I thought my own trouble was bad enough, but his, jeez. The professor knows this well enough and is doing his best to keep his mind active. What he's been saying was, under the circumstances, of absorbing interest. That remains to be seen. So as well as I can remember, here it is, and I apologize in advance. I I also apologize, but here we go. I have studied over and over again since they came into my hands all the papers relating to this monster. And the more I have studied, the greater seems the necessity to utterly stamp him out, huh? 
although there are signs of his advance, not only of his power, but of his knowledge of it. As I learned from the researches of my friend Arminius of Budapest, who probably is like, I wish I had never met you. He was in life a most wonderful man, soldier, statesman, and alchemist, which latter was the highest development of the science knowledge of his time. He had a mighty brain, a learning beyond compare, and an art that knew no fear and no remorse. He dared to even to attend the Scholomance, and there was no branch of knowledge of his time that he did not essay. Well, in him, the brain power survived the physical death, though it would seem that memory was not all complete, huh? In some faculties of his mind, he has been and is only a child, but he is growing, and some things that were childish at the first are now of man's stature. Hmm. He is experimenting and doing it well, and if... It had not been that we have crossed his path, he would be yet, and maybe yet, if we fail, the father of furtherer uh, of a new order of beings whose road must lead through death, not life. Harker groaned and said, And this is all arrayed against my darling. But how is he experimenting? The knowledge may help us to defeat him. He has, all along, since his coming, been trying his power, slowly but surely, that big child brain of his is working, where for us it is as yet a child brain, for had he dared at the first to attempt certain things, he would long ago have been beyond our power. However, he means to succeed, and a man who has centuries before him can afford to wait and go slow. Festina lente, well, may, may well be his motto. That explains nothing. Festina Lente is delicious. What the hell is Festina Lente? <laughs> it means to make haste slowly. I I sympathize with Mr. Harker as he says. I fail to understand. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> do be more plain to me. Perhaps grief and trouble are dulling my brain. The professor laid his hand tenderly on his shoulder as he spoke. Ah, my child, I will be plain. No, I won't. Do you not see how, of late, this monster has been creeping into knowledge experimentally? How he has been making use of the zoophagus patient to effect his entry into friend John's home? For your vampire, though in all afterwards he can come when and how he will, must as a first make entry only when asked thereto by an inmate. But these are not his most important experiments. Do we not see how at the first these so great boxes were moved by others? He knew not then, but that must be so. But all that time, that so great child brain of his was growing, and he began to consider whether he might not himself move the box, eh? because the boxes are very important. <laughs> so he began to help. And then when he found that this be all right, he tried to move them all alone. And so he progressed, and he scattered these graves of him, and none but he know where they are hidden. He may have intend to bury them deep in the ground so that only he used them in the night, or at such time that he can change his form, they do him equal well. And none may know these are his hiding places, but my child, do not despair, huh? even though I keep talking and talking. This knowledge <laughs> come to him just too late. Already all of his lairs but one be sterilized. Drink. 
as for him, <laughs> and before sunset, this shall be so. Then he have no place where he can be moved and hide. I delayed this morning so that we might be sure. Is there not more at stake for us than for him? Then why we not be even more careful than him? By my clock, it is one hour and already, if all be well, friend Arthur and Quincy are on their way to us. Today is our day, and sure, we must go sure, if slow, and lose no chance. See, there are five of us who's when those absent ones return. While he was speaking, we were startled by and extremely relieved by a knock at the (laughs) hall door. The double postman's knock at the telegraph boy. We all moved out to the hall with one impulse, and Van Helsing, holding up his hand to keep silence, stepped to the door and opened it. The boy handed in a dispatch. The professor closed it again, and after looking in the direction, opened it and read it aloud. Look out for D. He has just now, 12.45. I'm always looking out for D. (laughs) (laughs) Just being honest. You know, uh, you're not wrong. (laughs) He has just now, 12.45, come from Carfax hurriedly and hastened toward the south. He seems to be going the round and may want to see you. Mina! There was a pause broken by Jonathan Harker's voice. Now, God be thanked, we shall soon meet. Van Helsing turned to him quickly and said, God will act in his own way and time because I love delaying everything that I can because I don't really want to work. Do not fear and do not rejoice as yet for what we wish at, uh, wish for at the moment may be our undoings. I care for nothing now except to wipe out this brute from the face of creation. I would sell my soul to do it. Oh, ash, ash, my child, God does not purchase souls in this wise, and the devil, though he may purchase, does not keep faith, huh? But I'll take it if you're selling, you know, cult leader. (laughs) But God is merciful and just and knows your pain and your devotion to that dear Madame Mina. I think dear Madame Mina needs to be another drinking game phrase. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. How her pain would be doubled did she but hear your wild words. Do not fear any of us. We are all devoted to this cause and today shall see the end. The time is coming for action today, but not yet. (laughs) Today, this vampire is limited to the powers of man until sunset. He may not change. It will take him time to arrive here. See, it is 20 minutes past one and there are yet some times before he can come hither be he ever so quick. What we must hope for is that my Lord Arthur and Quincy arrive first, because I don't want to be alone when I face him, huh? About a half hour after we received Mrs. Harker's telegram, there came a quiet, resolute knock at the hall door. It was just an ordinary knock, such as given hourly by thousands of gentlemen, but it made the professor's heart and mind beat loudly. We looked at each other and together moved out into the hall. We held each held ready to use our various armaments, the spiritual in the left hand, the mortal in the right. Van Helsing pulled back the latch and holding the door half open stood back having both hands ready for action the gladness of our hearts must have shown upon our faces when on the step close to the door we saw Lord Godalming and Quincy Morris they came quickly in and closed the door behind them the former saying as they moved along the hall it is all right we found both places six boxes in each and we destroyed them all destroyed for him We were silent for a moment, and then Quincy said, Oh, there's nothing to do but wait here. If, however, he doesn't turn up by five o'clock, we must start off, or it won't do to leave Mrs. Harker alone after sunset. He will be here before long now, huh? (laughs) Van Helsing had been consulting his pocketbook. 
Nota bene, in Madame's telegram, he went south from Carfax. That means he went to cross the river and he could only do so at the slack of the tide, which should be something before one o'clock. That he went south has meaning for us. He is yet only suspicious. And he went from Carfax first to the place where he is, would suspect interference least. You must have been at Bermondsey only a short time before him. That he is not here already shows he went to the mile end next. This took him some time, for he would then have to be carried over the river in some way. Believe me, my friends, we shall have not long to wait now. <laughs> we should have ready some plan of attack because I just thought of that. So we may throw away no chance. Hush, there is no time now. Whoops, have you all your arms? Be ready. He held up a warning hand as he spoke for we could all hear a key softly inserted into the lock of the hall door. I could not but admire, even at such a moment, the way in which a dominant spirit asserted itself. In all our hunting parties and adventures in different parts of the world, Quincy Morris had always been the one to arrange the plan of action, and Arthur and I had been accustomed to obey him implicitly. Now the old habit seemed to be renewed instinctively. With a swift glance around the room, he at once laid out our plan of attack, and without speaking a word, with a gesture, placed us each in position. Van Helsing, Harker, and I were just behind the door, so that when it was open, the professor could guard it, while Sweetu stepped between the incomer and the door. Godalming behind and Quincy in front just stood just out of sight, ready to move in front of the windows. We waited in a suspense that made the seconds pass with nightmare slowness. The slow, careful steps came along the hall. The Count was evidently prepared for some surprise, lest he feared it. Suddenly, with a single bound, he leapt into the room, winning away past us before any of us could raise a hand to stay him. There was something so panther-like in the movement, so, so unhuman, that it seemed to sober us all from the shock of his coming. The first to act was Harker, who, with a quick movement, threw himself before the door leading into the room in the front of the house. As the Count saw us, a horrible sort of snarl passed over his face, <laughs> showing the eye teeth long and pointed. But the evil smile as quickly passed into the cold stare of lion-like disdain. Meh. His expression, his expression again changed as, with a single impulse, we all advanced upon him. It was a pity that we had not some better organized plan of attack. You think? They, they had nothing to do but fucking organize a plan right? of attack. But I was right? talking. They have hours that they could have done this. For yes, even but I was talking. Moment, for even at that moment, <laughs> I wondered what we were to do. I did not myself know whether our lethal weapons would avail us anything. Harker evidently meant to try the matter, for he had ready his great kukri knife and made a fierce and sudden cut at him. The blow is a powerful one. Only the diabolical quickness of the Count's leap back saved him. A second less than the trenchant blade had shorn through his heart. As it was, the point just caught the cloth of his coat, making a gap, wide gap where once a bundle of banknotes and a stream of gold fell out. It will cut. That yes. was a very, very niche reference. And for those who appreciate it, I thank you. The <laughs> expression of the Count's face was so hellish that for a moment I feared for Harker, though I saw him throw the terrible knife aloft again for another stroke. Instinctively, I moved forward with a protective impulse, holding the crucifix and wafer in my left hand. I felt a mighty power fly along my arm, and it was without surprise that I saw the monster cower back before a similar movement made spontaneous light by each one of us. It would be impossible to describe the expression of hate and baffled malignity of anger and hellish rage which came over the Count's face. His waxen hue became greenish-yellow by the contrast of his burning eyes, and the red scar on the forehead showed on the pallid skin like a palpitating wound. 
The next instant, with a sinuous dive, he swept under Harker's arm ere his blow could fall, and grasping a handful of the money from the floor, dashed across the room, threw himself at the window. Amid the crash and glitter of falling glass, he tumbled into the flagging area below. Through the sound of shivering glass, I could hear the ting of the gold as some of the sovereigns fell on the flagging. We ran over and saw him sprinting unhurt from the ground. He rushed up the steps, crossed the flag yard, and pushed open the stable door. Then he turned and spoke to us. You think to baffle me, you with your pale faces all in a row like sheep in butchers. You shall be sorry yet, each one of you. You think you have left me without place to rest, but I have more. My revenge is just begun. I spread it over centuries and time is on my side. Yes, your girls is. that you all love are mine already, and through them you and others shall yet be mine. My creatures to do my bidding, and to be my jackals when I want to feed. Bah! With a contemptuous <laughs> sneer, he passed... <laughs> With two contemptuous sneers, he passed quickly through the door and we heard a rusty bolt creak as he fastened it behind him. A door beyond opened and shut. The first of us to speak was the professor, Kel Surprise, as realizing the difficulty of following him through the stable, we moved towards the hall. Ah, we have learned something. Much, huh? Notwithstanding his brave words, he fears us, he fears time, he fears want, for if not, why he hurry so? His very tone betray him on my ears deceive. Why take that money? You follow quick. You are hunters of the wild beast and understand it so. For me, I make sure that there is nothing here that may be of use to him. So in case he return, like I'll pick up the rest of the money, you know, you just leave me As he spoke, it. he picked up the rest of the money. He put the money <laughs> remaining into his pocket, took the title deeds and the bundle as Harker had left them, and swept the remaining things into the open fireplace where he set fire to them with a match. Godalming and Morris had rushed out into the yard and Harker had lowered himself from the window Spider-Man style, I guess. Uh, down into the left. Down, down into the left. <laughs> he had, however, bolted the stable door, and by the time they forced it open, there was no sign of him. Van Helsing and I tried to make inquiry at the back of the house, but the mews was deserted, and no one had seen him depart. It was now late in the afternoon, and sunset was not far off. We had to recognize that our game was up. With heavy hearts, we agreed with the professor when he said, Let us go back to Madame Mina. Drink. Poor, poor, dear <laughs> Madame Mina. Drink. Drink. <laughs> All we can do now is done. And we can there at least protect her. But we need not despair. There is but one more earth box and we must try to find it. When that is done, all may yet be well. I could see that he spoke as bravely as he could to comfort Harker. The poor fellow was quite broken down. Now and again, he gave a low groan, which he could not suppress. He was thinking of his wife. With sad hearts, we came back to my house, where we found Mrs. Harker waiting for us with an appearance of cheerfulness, which did honor to her bravery and unselfishness. When she saw our faces, her own became as pale as death. For a second or two, her eyes were closed as if she were in secret prayer. And then she said cheerfully, I can never thank you all enough. Oh, my poor darling. As she spoke, she took her husband's gray head in her hands and kissed it. Lay your poor head here and rest it. All will be well yet, dear. God will protect us, if he so will it, in his good intent. 
the poor fellow groaned. Seriously, no- how how many right. groans is he doing? <laughs> He's just groaning away. There was no place for words <gasps> in his blind misery. We had a sort of perfunctory supper together, and I think it cheered us up all up somewhat. It was perhaps the mere animal heat of food to hungry people, for none of us had eaten anything since breakfast, or the sense of companionship may have helped us. But anyhow, we were all less miserable and saw the morrow as not altogether without hope. True to our promise, we told Mrs. Harker everything which had passed, and although she grew snowy white at times when danger seemed to threaten her husband, and red at others when his devotion to her was manifested, she listened bravely and with calmness. When we came to the part where Harker had rushed at the Count so recklessly, she clung to her husband's arm and held it tight, as though her clinging could protect him from any harm that might come. She said nothing, however, till the narration was all done, and matters had been brought right up to the present time. Then, without letting go her husband's hand, she stood up among us and spoke. Oh, that I could give any idea of the scene, of that sweet, sweet, good, good woman in all the radiant beauty of her youth and animation, with the red scar on her forehead, of which she was conscious, and which we saw with grinding of our teeth, remembering whence and how it came, our loving kindness against our grim hate, her tender faith against all our fears and doubting, and we, knowing so far as symbols went, she was with all her goodness and purity and faith, was outcast from God. (sighs) Jonathan, Jonathan, Dia, and you, all my true friends, I want you to bear in mind something through all this dreadful time. I know that you must fight, that you must destroy, even as you destroyed the false Lucy, so that the true Lucy might live hereafter, but it is not a work of hate. That poor soul who has wrought all this misery is the saddest case of all. Just think what his what his joy will be when he, too, is destroyed and is worse apart than his better part may be, have spiritual immortality. <laughs> My cat's very interested. Frida, uh, we don't need any help with this part. You can go on the floor now, baby girl. Thank you. She, she wanted to chime in. You must be pitiful to him, though it may not hold your hands from his destruction. As she spoke, I could see her her husband's face darken and draw together, as though the passions in him were shriveling his being to his core. Instinctively, the clasp on his wife's hand grew closer till his knuckles looked white. She did not flinch from the pain, which I knew she must have suffered, but looked at him with eyes that were more appealing than ever. As she stopped speaking, he leapt to his feet, almost tearing his hand from hers as he spoke. May God give him into my hand just for long enough to destroy that earthly life of him which we are aiming at. If beyond it I could send his soul forever and ever to burning hell, I would do it. Oh, hush. Oh, hush. In the name of good God, don't say such things. Jonathan, my husband, you'll crush me with fear and horror. Just (laughs) think, my dear, I've been thinking all this long, long day of it, that perhaps someday, someday... I too may need such pity, and that some other like you, and with equal clause for anger, may deny it to me. Oh, my husband, my husband, indeed, I would have spared you such a thought had there been another way, but I pray that God may not have treasured your wild words, except as the heartbroken wail of a very loving and sorely stricken man. Oh, God, let these poor white hairs go in evidence of what he has suffered, who all his life has done no wrong, and on whom so many sorrows have come. We men were all in tears now. Manly, manly tears. There was no resisting them, and we wept openly. She wept too, to see that her sweeter counsel had prevailed. Her husband flung himself on his knees beside her, and putting his arms around her, hid his face in the folds of her dress. He is such Van a Hel- drama queen. Oh, my God. Van Helsing beckoned to us, and we stole out of the room, leaving the two loving hearts alone with their God. Uh-huh. 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 
Before they retired, the professor fixed up the room against any coming of the vampire and assured Mrs. Harker that she might rest in peace. Choice of words, dude. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. She tried to school herself to the belief and manifestly for her husband's sake, tried to seem content. It was a brave struggle and was, I think and believe, not without its reward. Van Helsing had placed in hand a bell, which either of them was to sound in case of any emergency. When they had retired, Quincy, Godalming, and I all arranged we should sit up, dividing the night between us and watch over the safety of the poor stricken lady. The first watch falls to Quincy, so the rest of us shall be off to bed as soon as we can. Godalming is already turned in, for his is the second watch. Now that my work is done, I too shall go to bed. Jonathan Harker's journal. 3 and 4 October, close to midnight. Wait, this is so out of character for him. He should know the exact time and date that he's writing. He's overwhelmed with the drama. He's he's distraught. Poor guy. (laughs) I thought yesterday would never end. There were there there was over (laughs) me. There was over me a yearning for sleep in some sort of blind belief that to wake would be to find things changed and that any change must now be for the better. Before we parted, we discussed what our next step was to be, but we could arrive at no result. All we knew was that one earth box remained and that the Count alone knew where it was. If he chooses to lie hidden, he may baffle us for years. And in the meantime, the thought is too horrible. I dare not think of it even now. This I know, that if ever there was a woman who was all perfection, that one is my poor wronged darling. I love her a thousand times more for her sweet pity of last night, a pity that made my own hate of the monster seem despicable. Surely God will not permit the world to be the poorer by the loss of such a creature. This is hope to me. We are all drifting reefwards now, and faith is our only anchor. Thank God. Mina is sleeping, and sleeping without dreams. I fear what her dreams might be like, with such terrible memories to ground them in. She has not been so calm within my seeing since the sun set. Then, for a while, there came over her face a repose which was like spring after the blasts of March— I thought at the time that it was the softness of the red sunset on her face, but somehow now I think it has a deeper meaning. I am not sleepy myself, though I am weary, weary to death. However, I must try to sleep, for there is tomorrow to think of, and there is no rest for me until later. I must have fallen asleep, for I was awakened by Mina, who was sitting up in bed with a startled look on her face. I could see easily, for we did not leave the room in darkness. She had placed a warning hand over my mouth, and now she whispered in my ear, Hush! There's someone in the corridor! (laughs) I got up softly, and crossing the room, gently opened the door. Just outside, stretched on a mattress, lay Mr. Morris. God bless that man. (laughs) Wide awake. He raised a warning hand for silence as he whispered to me. Hush, go back to bed. It's all right. One of us will be here all night. We don't mean to take any chances. His look and gesture forbade discussion, so I came back and told Mina. She sighed, and positively a shadow of a smile stole over her poor pale face as she put her arms round me and said softly, 
Oh, God. Thank God for good, brave men. And you too, Jonathan. (laughs) She didn't say that. (laughs) With a sigh, she sank back again to sleep. I write this now as I am not sleepy, though I must try again. 4 October, morning. Once again, during the night, I was wakened by Mina. This time, we had all had a good sleep, for the gray of the coming dawn was making the windows into sharp oblongs, and the gas flame was like a speck rather than a disk of light. She said to me hurriedly, Go, call the professor. I want to see him at once. Why? I asked. I have an idea. I suppose it must have come in the night and matured without my knowing it. He must hypnotize me before the dawn, and then I shall be able to speak. Go quick, dearest. The time is getting close. I went to the door. Dr. Seward was resting on the mattress, and seeing me, he sprang to his feet. Is anything wrong? No, I replied, but Mina wants to see Dr. Van Helsing at once. I will go, he said, and hurried into the professor's room. In two or three minutes later, Van Helsing was in the room in his dressing gown, and Mr. Morris and Lord Godalming were with Dr. Seward at the door asking questions. When the professor saw Mina smile, a positive smile ousted the anxiety of his face. He rubbed his hands as he said, Oh, my dear Madame Mina. Drink. Drink. (laughs) This is indeed a change. See, friend Jonathan, we have got our dear Madame Mina. Drink. Drink. As of old, back to us today. And what am I to do you for? (laughs) For at this hour, you do not want me for nothing. (laughs) I suppose that's true. I want you to hypnotize me. Do it before the dawn, for I feel that then I can speak and speak freely. Be quick, for the time is short. Without a word, he motioned her to sit up in bed. Looking fixedly at her, he commenced to make passes in front of her from over the top of her head downward with each hand in turn. Mina gazed at him fixedly for a few minutes, during which my own heart beat like a trip hammer, for I felt that some crisis was at hand. Gradually, her eyes closed and she sat stock still. Only by the gentle heaving of her bosom could one know that she was alive. The professor made a few more passes and then stopped, and I could see that his forehead was covered with great beads of perspiration. Mina opened her eyes, but she did not seem the same woman. There was a faraway look in her eyes, and her voice had a sad dreaminess which was new to me. Raising his hand to impose silence, the professor motioned to me to bring the others in. They came on tiptoe, closing the door behind them, and stood at the foot of the bed looking on. Mina appeared not to see them. The stillness was broken by Van Helsing's voice speaking in a low-level tone which would not break the current of her thoughts. Where are you? The answer came in a neutral way. I do not know. Sleep has no place it can call its own. For several minutes there was silence. Mina sat rigid and the professor stood staring at her fixedly. The rest of us hardly dared to breathe. The room was growing lighter. Without taking his eyes from Mina's face, Dr. Van Helsing motioned me to pull up the blind. I did so, and the day seemed just upon us. A red streak shot up, and a rosy light seemed to diffuse itself through the room. On the instant, the professor spoke again. Where are you now? The answer came dreamily, but with intention. It were as though she were interpreting something. I have heard her use the same tone when reading her shorthand notes. 
I do not know. It is all strange to me. What do you see? I can see nothing. It's all dark. What do you hear? I could detect the strain in the professor's patient voice. The lapping of water. It's gurgling by and little waves leap. I can hear them on the outside. Then you are on a ship. We all looked at each other, trying to glean something each from the other. We were afraid to think. The answer came quick. Oh, yeah. What else do you hear? The sound of men stamping overhead as they run about. There's the creaking of a chain and the loud tinkle as the check of the capstan falls into the ratchet. What are you doing? I am still, oh, so still. It is like death. The voice faded away into a deep breath as of one sleeping, and the open eyes closed again. By this time, the sun had risen and we were all in the full light of day. Dr. Van Helsing placed his hands on Mina's shoulders and laid her head down softly on her pillow. She lay like a sleeping child for a few moments and then, with a long sigh, awoke and started in wonder to see us all around her. Have I been talking in my sleep? <laughs> she seemed, however, to know the situation without telling, though she was eager to know what she had told. The professor repeated the conversation, and she said, Then there's not a moment to lose. It may not yet be too late. Mr. Morris and Lord Godalming started for the door, but the professor's calm voice called them back. <laughs> of course it did. Stay, my friends. <laughs> <No>. Surprise. <laughs> that ship, wherever it was, was weighing anchor whilst she spoke. There are a great many ships weighing anchor at the moment in your so great port of London. Which one of them is it that you seek? God be thanked that we have once again a clue, though whither it may lead us we know not. We have been blind, somewhat blind, after the manner of men since we, when we can look back, we see what we might have seen seen looking forward <laughs> if we had been oh. able to see what we might have seen alas but that sentence is a puddle is it not huh? it is not <laughs> <laughs> we can uh we can now know that what was in the count's mind when he sees that money so jonathan so fierce knife put him into danger even though he dread he meant escape hear me escape he saw that but with but one earth box left and a pack of men following like the dogs after the fox, this London was no place for him. He have take his last earthbuck on board a ship, and he leaves the land. He thinks to escape, but no, we follow him. Ha-ha! Tally-ho, as our friend Arthur would say when he put on his red frock. Our old fox is wily, oh, so wily, and we must follow with wile. I do am wily, and I think his mind in a little while. In meantime, we may have rest in peace. Again. Again. Ay. For there are waters between us which he do not want to pass, and which he could not if he would, unless the ship were to touch the land, and then only at full or slack tide. See? The sun is just rose, and all day to sunset is to us. Let us take a bath and dress and have breakfast, which we all need, because most important meal of the day, huh? And <laughs> we can eat comfortably, since he be not in same land with us. Mina looked at him appealingly as she asked, But why need we seek him further when he's gone away from us? He took her hand and patted it as he replied, Ask me nothing as yet. Uh, <laughs> when we have breakfast, then I answer all questions, huh? 
back to his old games. He would say no more, and we separated to dress. After breakfast, Mina repeated her question. He looked at her gravely for a minute and then said sorrowfully, Because, my dear, dear Madame Mina, drink. Now more than ever, we must find him even if we have to follow him to the jaws of hell. She grew paler as she asked faintly, Why? Because he can live for centuries, and you are but mortal woman, huh? Time is now to be dreaded since once he puts that mark upon your throat. <laughs> I was just in time to catch her as she fell forward in a faint. And that, now that I'm like white with rage again, is where we will stop for today. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I have question. I have... So I have well, go, you go ahead. I have like a logistical, like a factoid, I don't know, mm -hmm. question. So there have been mentions of things in prior previous chapters that I wasn't sure about, but this time I really was like, oh no, wait, wait, wait. There, Dracula's out and about in daylight. I've been yeah. noticing that too, yeah. That, that Me, Mina's telegram says 12.45. It's the mm -hmm. middle of the day. Yeah, it's and afternoon. she's reporting that he's left and gone wherever the hell, down and to the left, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So he can go out at daytime and there were also mentions of he can change at noon so he can only so um the exposure to the sun thing i don't know where that came from but he can still move during the day he he's just limited to being a mortal like his powers are limited during the day okay oh, so it's like he can't on. turn into a bat or mist or a wolf or anything like that so sunlight is like his kryptonite. Yeah. You okay. know, it, it makes him relatively ordinary. Although I will say he's had some damn fine moves, like, right. like beating Flinging those guys. out the window. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah. So that there's a, a deep dive to to uh, topic. Where did this whole concept of daylight being bad for vampires come from if it's not from Bram? Yeah. Well, no. he didn't write the first vampire book. I believe that was Polydorus. Is that right? Uh, I mean, there there are. I mean, there are vampire there's stories. There's folk stories going back, you know, yeah. forever. And oh, right, right, right. Because Van Helsing told us that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the <he> Romans. Did. <laughs> <laughs> At least I give you one piece of information now. Damn it! I learned something. <laughs> All right. Damn it! What's what's up in the next chapter? Well, so the two worst doctors in the world actually get a clue. Mina gets a makeover, and these guys really need to like see a travel agent or consult Expedia because worst trip planning ever. <laughs> that comes as a complete shock, right? Uh, <laughs> not having things planned out in advance. What are the odds? I can't wait. <laughs> and don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunk mythology gals. That's right. For the month of October, we have the drunk Dracula gals tier for $1. You get all of these Dracula episodes as soon as we're done producing them. And you also get access to some other lit crit hour episodes over there. And maybe we'll do some more vampire stories over there. Oh, yeah. Mm, there are. There are. Yeah. So uh, 
Thanks again for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, hey, watch this watch. You're feeling sleepy. You're getting very sleepy. You're getting really sleepy. Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, so can you.